0: Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode.
1: Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with guest author Penelope Ward. Welcome to Audiobook Lovin' and Penelope. How are you doing today?
2: Great. Thank you for having me, Viviana.
1: Thank you for being here. Why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been writing, and how you became an author?
2: Sure. Um, So I have been writing since 2013 when I feel like a lot of people broke onto the scene. Um, I was at the time um, a sort of bored housewife that worked from home part of the time and was raising two kids. Uh, I was in my mid 30s and I really had gotten into reading as a passion, mostly romance novels, pretty much exclusively romance novels, and just came up with the wild idea that I was going to create a story of my own one day and started writing this and reading it to my friend on Skype, chapter by chapter, never expecting that anything was going to come of it. <laughs> and and uh, basically, it all sort of happened what seems like overnight when I learned how to self-publish it and get it out there. At that time, I didn't realize I was breaking onto the scene at a very exciting time when there weren't a ton of people self-publishing like there are today. So I got very lucky. <laughs> it was the time <laughs> was right.
1: Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's very important sometimes. it is
2: timing can be everything it Mm -hmm. can literally make the difference between you know something happening or not happening and every every moment every day of your life you know can put you and turn you into a direction that you didn't anticipate so it's all very important but yeah it was total luck Mm
1: -hmm. and how many books have you written in total at this point
2: i had to actually count them the other day (laughs) i i yeah, I think it's it's about fifteen of my own and about twelve or thirteen of the co-writes. So it's 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 edging on thirty books now. Um, it's uh, I write about three books a year, um, and that's because I consider the two halves of of the two co-writes one book because I do a half and a half equals one and then I do two solo books so I pretty much release three books a year and we're we're coming up on on probably close to 30 books combined now uh between the co-writes and my own which is seems
1: nuts <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and you co-write with um Vi Keeland am I saying that yeah. right <laughs> yeah so around uh, I'd say
2: 25 2014 2015 um, we decided we were just friends and we met uh, in a box set we had thrown some of our books together uh, With some other authors in a box set and we stayed friends after that experience and one day just Decided that we were going to try our hand at co-writing as for fun And we never expected that it was going to turn into something bigger Um, I don't think anybody knows whether they can co-write with someone until they actually start the process. When you're writing by yourself and you're used to that, it's a little strange all of a sudden beginning to write with someone else or the thought of that, but it actually happened quite naturally with us. Our styles are pretty similar. We realized we really enjoyed it, so we kept going.
1: How does that writing happen between the two of you? Because I've noticed when, I still, when I've spoken to other co-authors, they have different ways of doing it. Either they'll write the different characters, or they'll divide and conquer the chapters, or it's a scene and ideas. How, does, how do you guys go about that?
2: Yeah, so we literally, one person starts and we each have a word count goal. So say the first person starts and hits the 3,000 word count. We have, say, four or five days to get that done. Then we just turn it over to the other person. And wherever that author happened to leave off, the other one picks up. So I always enjoy getting what she wrote because I can then read and see where she took the story. We do a little bit of plotting ahead of time, but nothing so heavy that I would ever really know exactly where she took the story at any given point. We kind of like know where the story's going, the beginning, middle, and end, but in terms of all the little parts and all the little scenes, that's something that's pretty much a surprise to us every time we get it back from each other. So we literally pass it back and forth like a ball. Sometimes it ends up that I write the guy point of view, and sometimes it just ends up that I'm writing the woman. It just depends on where it falls. So we both get to write both characters, and we both get to experience them equally i know some authors that co-write one will write the male one will write the female but that's not how we do it so we we literally just pass back and forth like all
1: wow as soon as you said that passes back and forth i'm like oh like a slam book and i'm going there you go Ivy, dating yourself <laughs> <Yes. Right>. um, <laughs> <right. Yeah.
2: laughs> it's like it's like i consider it like improv
1: it's yeah just
2: very very improvisational
1: yeah it is and talk about because i can only i can only imagine how if you really wanted to mess with her yeah, how that would go? <laughs> I'm like, wait, I thought we were riding a shifter. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. I mean, you could totally do that. Yeah, and I mean, there's been times where I've left off at a certain point that I know she's going to either kill me or start laughing. Um, you know, I always use this example, but in our book, Playboy Pilot, there was a scene where the couple basically, I think they had just had sex for the first time, and they it was outdoors or something, and then he looked around and he couldn't find his pants. And they're stuck outside in like this, like neighborhood or outside in like the woods or something. He's looking around, he can't find his pants. And then the scene just ends that way. And so she texted me or messaged me and said, so what happened to his pants? And I said, that's for you to find out. (laughs) 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 That's for you to figure out. (laughs) So, I mean, it's just funny. We can do funny things like that. And then, you know, it's always fun to see what the other person's going to come up with when you leave something like that for them.
1: Yeah, well, it gets, you know, also creative, like, where would you have left your pants, you know?
2: Yeah, I How mean, what find them? like, just, you know, and then she comes up with this crazy uh, solution, which worked. So it's just, uh, it's fun.
1: <laughs> like I said, well, it's, it's definitely good that you guys have that relationship with each other. Again, keeping things interesting at the same time that you're able to mess around with each other is kind of cool.
2: Yes. You have to be able to enjoy this process or it's not going to work. You know, it's sort of like a marriage because you're stuck with this person because your books continue to be out there and they continue to sell. And so you're basically like, it's a business relationship that really you can't, you can't really ever um, dismantle unless you unpublish the books. And when we continue to write together, I mean, we do it because we truly enjoy it. You know, neither one of us has to co-write. We do it because we want to, and we do have a good time.
1: Listeners and readers love it when the two of you get together and write your books.
2: Yeah, we're happy that they do because we like to. (laughs) If they they stop liking it, we'd probably stop. So I'm I'm glad that they do.
1: Yes, they do. Um, When it comes down to the books that you write, uh, the genre that you primarily write in is contemporary romance, correct?
2: Yes, pretty much exclusively.
1: Yes, and what is it about that genre that you love so much?
2: Well, I'm not sure that I would necessarily know how to write any other aspect of romance very well i wouldn't be able to do historical for example um i i like the fact that contemporary romance is sort of a mix of a bunch of things it's it's you know for the most part uh you know you do you do have graphic sex scenes which i mean i i'm not a clean writer i i wouldn't say that i'm the most explicit writer of sex either but um I think clean romance would bore me. Um, I feel like uh, historical, I wouldn't be able to write. And so when you start narrowing down, um, the, you know, the type of romance that you, that fits your personality and fits what you like to write, contemporary is really it for me. I do write, uh, some of my stories would be considered new adults or a cross between new adult and contemporary. But um, my stories just, I, for the most part, uh, fall into the contemporary realm because that's what I like to read. and um it's just a good mix of you know angst humor um modern situations so
1: so with uh, the new adults what is your age range for that cuz every time i talk to some somebody it's always different depending on who they are
2: yeah And it is probably open to interpretation um i always look at new adult as sort of just slightly over the young adult age range uh with some sex as opposed to young adult which would be the teen years and minimal like sexual references, that kind of thing. So new adult, I consider starts around like 17 or 18 years old. Maybe I try to have my characters be of legal age before much happens in you know <laughs> in terms of a sexual um, way. But uh, like new adult, an example of one of my new adult books, which is sort of a mix between new adult and contemporary, because it's a second chance romance, would be Stepbrother Dearest, uh, because the characters were 17 when the story started. They were really 18 when they got together. And then there was a break uh, for several years where the the second chance component came about. So that book would be an example of a new adult story that sort of turned into a contemporary romance. Um, But new adult, I consider sort of college, uh, the beginning of college age to the end of college age. But I think it is open to, to interpretation in terms of how people see it
1: yeah because i've heard anything between like starting at 20 through their 25 26 i'm going uh that's adult um (laughs) where i kind of think like you it's a little younger like at least 17 18 yeah 21
2: and i do think it's open to interpretation but for some reason the number 17 sticks in my head because they're almost 18 um but you know it's i would i kind of like see young adult as like maybe 16 is the cutoff, and then 17 18 19 starts to veer into new adult and like, you know, 22 or so might be, <laughs> but I think everybody would see it differently.
1: And I know that when that first came out, I had a hoot because I'm going, okay, so we have new adults. What are the next one? Vintage and antique adults? Because when we're trying to figure out what age group they were talking about, I'm like, okay, where do we all fit in?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think a great, a great example of new adult is college. Yeah. That to me is the essence of new adult is any college story to me would be considered new adult. Um, Most of my characters tend to fall in their mid-20s to late-20s, but I have had a range of uh, starting at about 17 to about 35.
1: Mm -hmm. And what is it about that age group that you tend to kind of write in primarily? I,
2: I think it has to do with the fact that that particular time in a person's life is when they tend to be experiencing a lot of things that might warrant making it a good story, I guess. I mean, once someone is settled... Um, and that's not to say that stories with older characters aren't interesting, It'd be very interesting, but um I feel like once they're settled and a little bit older and married, there's less opportunity to tell a certain type of story, one that might be filled with angst and so forth. So I just feel like the stories themselves lend themselves to characters oftentimes in their 20s. And that in conjunction with the fact that I think I have a very youngish mind and a very immature spirit. So I tend to like to write characters in their 20s because I kind of feel like I'm living vicariously through them, I think. hmm OK, cool. I always wanted to ask that. Yeah, I think it's just personal choice, really. You know, you yeah. see authors that are always writing older characters. And it has to be that that's what they prefer.
1: Yeah. And they actually have, have to enjoy it. Otherwise, they won't be writing as much or at all.
2: And the story won't
1: come out as good.
2: You really do. And that's why oftentimes when someone asks an author, why don't you write a story about XYZ? The answer, generally, whether they admit it or not, is just that they probably don't want to. And they haven't been able to imagine that story very clearly. And that story is just not the story that happens to be in their imagination at the moment.
1: How do you get these ideas for your books?
2: It really starts with a very general idea. But in terms of the actual parts to the story, those come to me very sporadically and organically. So I can start out by saying, gee, I'd like to write a story about neighbors. And I'd like to write a story about a stepbrother who all of a sudden moves in with this this his father that he hasn't seen in years. And I start out with that general idea, but it really doesn't, start out with much more than that and then it's when I start just typing out those first words and really forcing out those first words that I start to see the story in my head very much like a movie I can even hear the characters voices and I feel like a lot of authors would probably say they have that same experience they can see the story they can hear the story and much like you and I don't know what we're going to be talking about five minutes from now the characters' dialogue just kind of happens, and it's a very hard for me to explain how it happens because these these stories, these words, these ideas, these images just come to my head. So I kind of feel like I don't know even how they get there. They just I'm sort of the tool by which they come out onto the paper, which is really interesting to me because I don't think I even fully understand it.
1: That's <laughs> well, like the magic of writing, I think, because it, it is a magical experience. You know, the, the, very the hard that- to
2: explain.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the experience alone, it's having to figure out like it's the words are in your head, processing it out, whether you do it, you know, traditional, old fashioned and writing things out in notebooks or you're typing it away. Or nowadays, people, I think sometimes are even doing the vo- um, the audio notes for their stories.
2: Well, there's so many different ways to do it. Um, I think the notebook on an iPhone is very useful when you're out and about and you get an idea and you need to jot it down. Um, I tend to write. I used to do a little bit of dictation, but I haven't done as much of that lately. But mostly I feel like when I'm staring at that blank page and I'm typing out the words, that's when the ideas come. Just staring at the page and typing.
1: Okay. Yeah, I've been told that that's when things don't flow.
2: <laughs> but I think everybody, everybody's different. Yeah. Um, I, I find that I have to see the words for it to like really flow. Like I did try dictation and stuff and I thought that that would help me, but it, it really was, it was kind of difficult for me when I wasn't actually seeing the words on the paper, which is interesting. But, um, But when you're motivated, is not really a choice. So just staring at the paper is just not going to do it. You have to be in the mood, and you have to be, you know, in the right frame of mind. And sometimes you sit down and write, and it just doesn't happen. And more often than not, probably. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been out and about, uh, either dinner with you know significant other or friends and family, and all of a sudden they the words just start coming, and you're going, "Crap, where's that napkin Um, or phone?"
2: not tell you how often I'm having a conversation with someone and they think I'm following along with them and I'd have no idea what they're saying because I'm <laughs> my head is in my story because I thought of something and I'm sitting there struggling to remember what I'm thinking so that I can remember it the next time I sit down on the computer and I'm sitting there staring at somebody nodding but I'm a very good I think I'm a fake pretend I'm a pretend uh, good friend I guess I don't know what the right word is, but like I can seriously look at someone let them talk nod and smile and just be plotting my story in my head
1: oh wow so you're like a good soundboard (laughs) then
2: (laughs) it sounds silly but it's it's like sometimes you have to just sometimes you have to let those uh, ideas flow when they come to you and you're in the middle of a conversation so you just smile and nod and then kind of daydream
1: yeah crazy Well, you know, the good thing about being a good soundboard, though, is that sometimes we just need that. We don't need someone to be giving us advice and stuff. We just need to kind of work the plant, you know, the plant out in our head outside, that, you know, vocally. That, so you're perfect that, for that. That is
2: so <laughs> true. I find that it doesn't even matter if I don't say anything with some of my friends. As long as I'm nodding, smiling, and listening, that's all they needed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> perfect. No. Um, yeah. Well, the perk of being an indie author is that you get to choose... You know the the stories, and you get to choose the you know the release dates and stuff like that, and you also get to choose your covers.
2: Yeah, Um, you know you have
1: good covers.
2: (laughs) I I it's funny because I've grown to actually hate the cover search process because I feel like the cover is very important to a book. I mean, there's the saying "Don't judge a book by its cover" is there for a reason because people do, and. Um, it is very stressful because a lot lies, a lot, you know, lies on that. And, um, I just feel like, uh, yeah, I, it's very important, but it's very stressful because you, the the entire internet is at your disposal, but it's very hard sometimes to secure a photo. It's not always easy, even if you find the right one. So it's a very stressful process, but yeah, as as an indie publisher, um, I am able to have total control, creative control, which is a great feeling. Um, Vi and I have published a few books now through Montlake Romance, which is a division of Amazon Publishing, and they've been very good to work with. But not every publisher necessarily gives the author freedom to choose certain things, so that's very important to me.
1: I think sometimes people don't, because they they see the you know the hot looking guy or the cover that's really great and has the right colors and everything, and they think, oh, that's pretty easy. But selecting that artwork, you know, finding the stock image or finding the photographer to get the exclusive rights, you know, because you don't want to have the cover that's the exact same as everybody else.
2: She has so much involved. It It is, and it's tiring. (laughs) Very tiring. And sometimes it doesn't work out either. You know, I found and fell in love with some images in the past that I wasn't able to get, you know either the person doesn't want to be on the book or the photographer doesn't want to sell it or it's very interesting um you know there's a bit of a stigma with romance novels I think and you know sometimes people don't want to be known as the next Fabio or they always have this thing in their head about Fabio, Fabio, Fabio from the 80s and um you know I- And it's really a wrong impression because you know what people like you know in this day and age don't realize that in some cases being on a romance novel is going to get you more exposure than being on a magazine true you know romance readers are so hungry and they and they they appreciate a good romance cover and um it's like unfortunate sometimes that certain people can't see that but um I've, i've had very few instances where people did not want to be on the cover, but that has happened and it's a bummer, you know, when you find the right photo and you just can't make it work.
1: True. Yeah. And I know that there's been a couple of photographers too that have realized that it's a good niche and yeah. their careers have exploded that they do things for magazines and other places, but they're known and most well known in the romance world because yeah. they're the ones that shoot the guys.
2: It's true. And it all started probably with some author finding one of their photos, contacting them and saying, Hey, I'd like to purchase this. And then they realized that a lot of authors started following them. And then it just exploded from there because there is a need out there for romance covers. And um, yeah, it's it's really not going away anytime soon.
1: I know that some of them have been even, I love it when they do the photos and then, but there's a graphic artist involved where they may change a couple of things of the photos to make it a bit more personalized to the book because the other thing too is like a pet peeve of mine. You know, and I know that sometimes the authors can't help it is yep. when the model in the cover is, you know, brunette. Oh, yeah. But in the book, they're blonde.
2: Well, that happens a lot with my foreign editions. Like, because you sell a book to a foreign publisher, they have the full rights to to choose the cover. So sometimes I'll say, well, I have international rights for my photo. Feel free to use it. But for whatever reason, they choose their own. And, like, the guy will be blonde when my guy was brunette or whatever. And I'll say, oh, you know, but it was their, it's their choice, you know. Um, yeah, but that can totally be distracting and that can... I do find I'm one of those people that I actually have a really hard time not picturing whoever's on the cover as the person in my head. Even if I want to picture someone else, I just can't do it. <laughs> I can't unsee it. So that's why it's so important for me to pick um someone that, that represents who I see my character, at least.
1: It's important. Like I said, for us, it's one of those where we're reading, we see the photo, you know, we see the cover, whether it's on Amazon or on Audible. And we're like going, OK, so he has this, he has a rough, you know, blah, blah, blah. He has this kind of hairstyle, I think. And then it's the complete opposite of when we're reading and we're going, Hey, I told you,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so true.
1: You know? It's like This is what I was imagining. Not that. I'm <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. um, speaking of audible. Um, what made you decide to make your titles available in the audio format?
2: Well, I've always loved listening to books myself. Um, I prefer to listen as opposed to read because I feel like I can get so much more in you know I can I can listen when I'm doing housework or listen when I'm exercising Um, and I feel like I was unfortunately late to the game in some ways because as a new author so back in say 2014 I didn't know how to put my books into audio Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to sell the rights to an audiobook to a company like Audible and when my first book did really well um, Step Brother Dearest I ended up I had an agent at the time who I, I said, well, now this book is doing really well. Can you please sell this book to um, into audio? Cause I had no clue how to produce my own audiobooks or to hire a company to do it. So I sold the rights to my first few books. And um, I didn't know at that time that I could self publish audio. I, over time I realized, Hey, I can actually, you know, yes, I have to put up the cost up front to produce this, but I can then keep a bigger portion of the royalties. and, and actually own my audiobook and have more control over it. So after my first few books were sold, I decided that I preferred to self-publish through ACX. And at, at that point, it was just really important to me because I saw the fact that there's really two different groups of people, um, those that solely listen and those that solely read. And in not putting my books in audio, I had really been missing out all that time, even the first you know, year and a half that I didn't have my first few books in audio. I've been missing out on all these people that couldn't hear my stories because they only listen to audiobooks. So the more books I put out, the more I realize how important audio is. I actually plan all of my releases around my audio. So I will book my narrator six months in advance. And so I pick my release date then and there, because I want to make sure that if I can, I can arrange it in a way that the book ebook comes out with the audio. It's just very important to me to try and do that because I realize now how important and how big the audio listener base is.
1: Yeah, I think it's um, sometimes some of the authors that don't realize how important it is to have them at the same time. Now we all understand that there's some times where things are out of the control, whether it's ACX taking their sweet ass time or yeah. the narrator not being available because I'm another one that says if you truly want this narrator because they're going to be the one of that voice and they're not available, then it's okay to wait. Yeah, you know, because it's the vision and it's what they're bringing to the character. But sometimes yeah. they don't really think sometimes about the listeners and or at least that's how my may come across. So anytime that there's a difference in release between the audio and the ebook, some, sometimes you'll hear the whole the grumbling like why. Yeah.
2: I think there are so many reasons for that. There can be a lot of different reasons for that. I think in some cases it may be that the author hasn't caught on yet (laughs) to the fact they're missing out on this huge chunk of, of, uh, of of you know followers because the people don't tend to read and they only like to listen. In some cases it's that. In some cases it could be finances. In some cases it could definitely be narrator scheduling because of the fact that narrators are in such high demand now because people are catching on. So everybody you know there is a set pool of narrators that are probably consistently busy every single day which is great and 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 that's why you have to book so far in advance
1: yeah it's true I always make fun of them sometimes or rather have fun with them and say so are you booked through the year 2045
2: um <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's great it's it's awesome Um, But it does keep the authors on their toes because you have to say, well, hey, if I have a British character coming up in the middle of next year and I want Shane East for that, I better book him now because someone else could book him and he's not going to be available. So, yeah, you do have to think ahead, like way ahead, at least six months ahead. And then you need to stick to it. I mean, that audio is what forced me as an indie publisher to finally adhere to a schedule. I used to almost brag about the fact that, oh, I can just pick a release date whenever and I can just drop my book without even announcing it. But I can't do that anymore. Not if I want to publish with my audio. Months <laughs> <laughs> in advance and I have to stick to that date and I have to know almost exactly to the day when I'm going to present that manuscript to ACX to give them enough time to put it up.
1: Because you have the control and you've published these, um, the audiobooks on your own. The um, you'll be able to con- select any narrator that you really want, correct?
2: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, um, I use a lot of the same narrators because I like them. And oftentimes I'll just hear their voice automatically. And because I know they're popular and, um, you know, people will search for narrators before they'll search for authors in some cases. So you want to be that person that accidentally gets found because they were looking for Andy Arndt or Sebastian York, you know, um, but, you know, at the same time, I do need to change it up uh, at times too. Um, so, you know, it, it, depending on the character and how you hear that voice and you figure, you know, you know enough narrator voices now to to see who best matches that. There are a lot of, dis- you know, factors that go into the decision. But uh, if you're willing to wait <laughs> and book in advance when you're a self-publisher, um, you, have, you do have some choices and that's a great thing.
1: There's- so many up and coming awesome narrators that are out there that are relatively new but they they're starting to get the followings you know people are starting to recognize their names more or people are talking about them so that's all another opportunity if you ever wanted to try someone new well that's, know, it's, yeah,
2: absolutely, yeah. it's almost absolutely necessary now too because there are so many more people uh producing into audio and putting their books in audio that you need more people that you know are catching on and that people are wanting to listen to absolutely, I mean, there are so many gems out there that I'm sure I've never heard, you know? And uh, hopefully I will. <laughs> yeah.
1: When it comes down to casting like the, the narrators, do you have a similar process as you more or less, or I would think you would more or less have when it comes down to looking at the photos for a cover? Are you actively listening to, you know, just kind of going through Audible and checking people out? Are you asking for suggestions from your readers? How do you go about discovering that new voice?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I haven't used enough myself of new voices um an example though of some new voices that i have i've been listening to because vi and i i don't know if you've heard but we are starting a world based on our cocky hero books uh-huh, yep and i feel like those books because those ones are actually they are produced through audible but we've been given some choices recently for new narrators that um we're you know approving for the various projects and it's giving me an opportunity to hear more voices and get and get some uh you know just definitely get used to some new narrators so that's a good good thing um but yeah I mean there are so many voices out there now narrators who who just are gonna probably in the next couple of years you'll you'll start you'll know their names you know because the audiobook industry is growing so so fast
1: that's huge and it continues which is always good because we love the audiobooks so it works out perfectly
2: yeah I mean for me An audiobook is just like effortless. I don't want to have to look at a screen after I've been working all day. I want to just be able to close my eyes and have someone tell me the story. And I and some people say the opposite. You know, I know there are some people that say, I just get so distracted by the voice. If the voice isn't right, I can't enjoy it. I don't feel necessarily I'm so much like that. I do tend to get used to the voice after a while if it's not what I was imagining it would be, but I definitely prefer to just close my eyes and let the story be told to me and experience some of the things that you can experience by hearing the voices.
1: Have you um seen or have you done where your um, your writing style as far as how the words end up on the page change a little bit based on the fact that you know this is going to be an audiobook versus maybe when you first started and you weren't thinking about the audiobooks?
2: Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I can if I know who the narrator is going to be, sometimes I hear that voice as I'm typing out, which is really freaky.
1: <laughs> right that's so freaky
2: yeah <laughs> yeah. if you want to hear the audio if you want to hear the narrator say something specific really it does it you, absolutely I, I can I can sometimes literally like if I'm writing a British character I hear the word I hear the British you know accent and I'm typing out in that voice so absolutely I feel like that's definitely helpful in, in, in being able to imagine that and um yeah, if, if you feel like something might sound awkward coming from a certain narrator, yeah, maybe, maybe that would impact what you write.
1: Sometimes I, I feel like when it's not in audio, and back in the days, there was a lot more of the narrative of the character in the head, like their own inner voices, versus mm-hmm. now having it more, having those conversations, whether it's with the best friend or with a significant other, the hero, where they're having that you know dialogue more vocally versus just mm-hmm. internally.
2: Yeah. I'm a huge dialogue writer. I, I, you know, every author is different. I think some authors prefer to write certain things. I actually prefer to write dialogue and then go back and fill in all the other things. Sometimes I'll just write straight dialogue for like the entire day and then go back and fill in the introductory parts and the description of the room and that kind of thing. Because, and, and I feel like I'm, in that sense, I'm, I'm the perfect author for audio because <laughs> I love dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what comes easiest to me to write.
1: Have you um, done a couple? I know you do mostly dual. Yes. Um Have you been doing duet or thought about doing duet?
2: I have thought about doing duet, but I haven't. I haven't actually gone forward with it, and I'm not entirely sure why. I feel like I enjoy writing. Uh, I, I, re- I enjoy reading just the standard um, dual narration. Um, and I don't necessarily, I I know that doing it the other way might be a little bit more complicated in terms of the production aspect. So for me, there's not enough of a difference personally, I think in the listening experience for me to have gone that route. And that's not to say that I never will. I just haven't, um, I guess I just haven't thought about, thought about it as necessary yet. Uh, one thing I will say is that I'll oftentimes make a decision to make a story dual point of view for the sheer fact that I want to have a male narrator for the audiobook whereas perhaps in the past I was just writing books in the female point of view because it worked better for the story to have the male be a mystery uh, in terms of his, his his what his thinking was and what you know his motivations were for some stories that really works better uh, not necessarily knowing what the male is thinking but oftentimes I will now make a decision to make sure that the male point of view is in there because I want to hear a male narrator as well as a female, too. I want that experience of both. So um, It it may actually, you do have to think about that going into writing the story.
1: Since you listen to audiobooks, do you also listen to romance audiobooks, or do you listen to a completely different genre?
2: The only genre I listen to other than romance is nonfiction. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like an autobiography I'll listen to, or a book about like, anxiety or meditation or some some like thing that I can like, you know, like a self-help type book. So I'll listen to self-help <clears throat> type books as well as someone's autobiography. But then, but in terms of fiction, I'm pretty much exclusively romance. It's what I enjoy the most, and you just don't have enough time to really read. I feel like I don't have enough time to read all of the romance books that I would wanna read. So I don't end up venturing out into other forms of fiction.
1: So gonna put you a little bit on the spot, just a little bit. Okay. Um, do you have favorite narrators that you like to listen to? Not not yeah. about don't worry about hiring them or anything like that, but just like listen to.
2: Yeah. Um Zachary Weber. Um, I love his voice. I just feel like he can do anything. He can <laughs> the accents is perfect. Um, and uh his voice to me is just very soothing. Um so I I really, really, I really love his voice. Um Someone who's uh, up and coming whose voice I love is Desiree Ketchum. She's only, uh, you know, she's she's new on the scene, but I feel like her voice too is very, it's very useful. And I feel like uh, her voice is a good match for a lot of characters that, that I might imagine in my head. Um, Andy, of course, is the quintessential, uh, smooth, awesome female voice too, you know? And I use her like for the majority of my books um, because I just love her voice. So yeah, there are, I definitely have some favorites that I like to listen to for sure. Um, But anyone that I've used obviously is a favorite uh, or someone that I would love to listen to as well. Yeah, I definitely, I find myself as well looking for the narrator first as an audiobook listener and then second, uh, choosing amongst the stories that they've narrated.
1: Well, sometimes there's also so many authors out there that when it comes down to pinpointing and they have so many different varieties and stories, whether it's Within the contemporary, you have all the different tropes, whether it's paranormal, again, then you have even more subtropes and oh, yeah. things like that, to, to be able to kind of at least know that you like a voice tends to narrow down the, the choices a little bit to some extent.
2: It makes it a little bit easier, absolutely. Like if you know, you're in the mood to, to listen to a British sounding person, you might pick a Shane East book and then among the Shane East books, you're picking the story <laughs> that, yeah. that resonates with you. So it does help you to narrow down what you want. It's absolutely true.
1: Now I know that authors tend to not read their reviews Mm -hmm. and I know that sometimes the idea of reviews can make the author cringe. Yes. But as someone that does do reviews and as Mm -hmm. someone that, and not only myself, but I have peers that love, you know, reviewing the books that they love, what are some of the suggestions that you may have that are beneficial for an author when it comes down to people writing reviews besides saying, Oh my God, this is awesome.
2: Writing a review I feel like is very difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be writing reviews myself because I actually think it's a very difficult thing to do uh, because it's very difficult to explain how a story made you feel without giving away spoilers. And I feel like there there are some people that are able to write reviews that somehow tell you in general what the story's about, how it's gonna make you feel without giving anything away. (laughs) So for me, Um, I cringe, of course, as an author, when someone gives away a spoiler, that's pretty much the worst thing that can happen (laughs) to an author who works so hard to build a story that is going to somehow surprise people. And then someone, if they're telling the story, like a book report in a review, it's just so disappointing. And, you know, as an author, you can't say anything. You can't comment. You can't say, please take away your review. Um, you know, it just, it's, it's disheartening when you see reviews that tell the person, you know, why should that person buy the book now? They've just read the entire book report. So I would say like the reviews that are most helpful for authors are the reviews that explain how the book made someone feel. So the author gets a feel for, you know, whether they sort of hit the mark on what they were trying to achieve in terms of bringing out certain emotions in people. But, you know, there are certain reviews that do help an author. I don't want to say like, no author wants to receive a critical review, but I feel like sometimes the good solid three-star reviews, which by the way, no author wants to receive um, a three-star review, they want four and five-star reviews because they they want to, you know, they want someone to really have loved the book. But I find that sometimes if I go to the three-star reviews, you know, in those reviews, you can find some areas where things could have been improved or where you went wrong or where maybe you rushed something. So I, I, as an author, try to steer clear of reviews, reading reviews as a habit, but there's a certain period of time early on where I'll pay attention to the reviews and then I'll stop because continuously doing it like almost like a obsessive compulsive thing where you're just constantly reading them is not helpful. I get too much in your head, but reviews can definitely be helpful to an author if they are respectfully critical. But uh, yeah, the main thing—just no spoilers. That's that's <laughs> yes. Every author will agree. Please don't write spoilers and ruin the experience for someone else because there's just no reason for that.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I know that one of my pet peeves with reviewers sometimes is when re, they re—they basically reworded the blurb. Yes. And right. going, that's not a review. You're just right. telling me what the blurb already told me. Yeah. And I look for like what you were saying. How did you feel? Did it, I'm not a crier. So if a book's going to make me cry, you know that's a good book. So one of the things I like to do with my guests towards the end of the episode is to play a game called Would You Rather? Okay. Yeah. So if you have a couple more minutes with me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So would you rather always be 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early?
2: 20 minutes early. I'm early to everything. It, it gives me anxiety to be late for sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> would you rather know the history of every object you touch or be able to talk to animals
2: <laughs> um I probably I don't care about what I touch I'm not really like freaked out by anything so I think talking to animals would be way more interesting and amusing
1: would you rather be able to teleport anywhere or be able to read minds
2: um I think I would rather be able to teleport everywhere sometimes I don't want to know what people are thinking and I don't want people to know what I'm thinking so I think given especially since I have a fear of flying oh, I think that would help you teleporting everywhere would be awesome
1: (laughs) um would you rather never have to clean a bathroom again or never have to do dishes again
2: oh that's an interesting one i actually think i would rather clean the bathroom believe it or not because dishes are like constant and they just seem to pile up and i think you know the bathroom i can space out a little more so i would say like i would definitely forego the dishes
1: you are only number two of about 20 people that i've asked this (laughs) that's funny but you're the only one that gave me that logic so I can kind of see where you're coming from as far as the timing
2: goes
1: (laughs) yeah would you rather be able to control fire or water
2: Uh, control fire or water I think fire fire is extremely scary to me and I often fear uh, fire starting and me not knowing how to put it out so uh, I would say fire
1: would you rather be invisible or be fast
2: um, oh gosh, invisible would be probably preferred because, uh, I think there are certain situations that you're very uncomfortable and you might get anxiety. And if you could just disappear uh, on cue, that would be great.
1: That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. Bye.
2: Yeah. No,
1: I'm not walking into that one. Um, Would you rather always be hot or always be cold?
2: I hate the heat.
1: I absolutely hate the heat
2: because I feel like it's much harder to control for some reason. Like if you're super, super hot, I just feel like if you're cold, you can just pile on the blankets and pile on and warm up very easily. Whereas when you're super hot, it just takes much more to cool down and I hate sweating. So I would say absolutely, I'd much rather be cold.
1: I always say you can always um, put like layers on, like you said, but you can't take everything off. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Absolutely.
1: Would you rather tell everyone your guilty pleasures or never partake in any of your guilty pleasures again?
2: Definitely, I would rather tell everybody my guilty pleasures. Um, I don't feel like I have a lot of things that I'm not an open book about, and I don't care too much what people think about certain things. So I feel like I would much rather just tell people than never be able to engage in my guilty pleasures again.
1: Good. Last one. Would you rather have a personal chef or a personal masseuse?
2: okay this is gonna sound funny but my husband's a really good cook and he cooks a lot and I feel like I already have a personal show (laughs) if I could add a masseuse onto that that would be perfect I would have both
1: (laughs) before we go why don't you let us know what's going on in um, your world as far as what's coming up and releases
2: yeah okay so I have my next solo book coming out at the end of August so that will be a solo book by Keelan and I also have one last co written book coming up in October, and that's part, put out by Mont Lake Romance, which is a division of Amazon Publishing. Uh, so there are two more books essentially in, for up, the upcoming year. And so I will be announcing um, my August book probably sometime uh, at the end of this month, at the end of June or July.
1: And any other audiobooks that you have yet to release? Well, those
2: two books that I mentioned will both be in August. Um, my August book right now I have, um, it will probably be narrated in July. And right now I have Sebastian York and Andy are lined up to narrate that one. Um, and so that one will, will hopefully go off without a hitch so that everybody can listen to it. Um, when the book releases probably, uh, as of right now, the release date is at the very end of August. So my goal is have a simultaneous release i uh, will also have um sebastian and andy narrating hopefully the book that we have coming out uh in october which is the co-write that actually has already been announced as of this time which is uh, happily letter after which is the last book that we have coming out this year
1: i didn't yeah i love them too i love those sebastian and andy they're great
2: i do use them a lot because honestly they're sort of just like my mainstays and um just love both their voices.
1: Well, thank you, Penelope, for being my guest of this year's Audiobook Lovin' series. I greatly appreciate your time.
2: Thank you, Viviana. I really appreciate being here. I've listened to this podcast before and really enjoyed it, so I'm just happy to be a part of it.
1: Aw, oh, thank you. Until next time, happy listening.
0: Thank you for joining us in the Audiobook Lovin' series, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode, as well as the series, We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Levin hopes you've enjoyed this program.